In the past, I've joked that businesses would be a cinch if it weren't for all the people. By far, in our businesses, people are our number one issues. I mean, for as many people as you have on your team, you have that many issues to contend with. But what if you had a way to evaluate where your weaknesses are, figure out how you can adjust the team dynamic, and move each individual to becoming a champion within your business? Would that make a difference? And that's what we're talking about today on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that challenges small business owners and entrepreneurs, just like you, to dare to be the exception. Join our host, customer experience expert, Mark Hain, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you script and direct your business and teams to create jaw-dropping experiences your customers and staff deserve. Here is the host of Experience Leadership, author of Lights, Camera, Action, customer experience expert, Mark Hain. Welcome to this episode. My guest today is culture expert, Warren Barry. Today, we will be discussing how you can see your people, your staff, from a different perspective. We will uncover an aspect of who you are as a leader that drives your behavior and your problem solving and how to leverage it to build better teams. So stay with us. If this is your first time with us, I'd like to say welcome. If you find this episode valuable, please go ahead and check out our past episodes. There are 144 of them, all with stellar, amazing experts. And if you feel like it and you appreciate what we're doing for you, please go ahead and leave a review. Thank you so much for investing the biggest commodity you have today, and that is your time. You know, we've talked a lot on this show about the importance of employee engagement. Now that we have a mixture of hybrid, remote, and in-person jobs, employee engagement has fallen to an all-time low. You can pretty much bank that only one out of every three employees working for you right now are actively engaged in doing the work that they're doing. So that brings me to our question of the day. Corporate culture has been a buzzword since the early 90s, if not before. But what does corporate culture mean to you? I'd love to hear your input. Go ahead and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Make sure you hashtag it, hashtag experienced leadership, and put down what corporate culture means to you. My guest for this episode is the purveyor of the pond and human performance expert, Warren Barry. After being an entrepreneur and working in medicine for 30 years, he made a connection between the mind, the body, and performance, and what makes people healthy and happier work, or not. Having that experience for himself and always being an odd duck, he decided to leave the nest and help other entrepreneurs and business owners discover their golden pond. Warren, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Mark, I am absolutely super excited to be here. You're so engaging. This is going to be a lot of fun. And I just can't wait to tell your listeners or, or explain to your listeners a little bit of how to see their people from just a little different angle from what they did when they came on the podcast today. I love it. I love anything that shifts mindset. And I have a sneaking suspicion our audience today will get a huge mindset shift on opening up their perspective. But before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about how you serve your clients? 
You know, the best way to serve my clients is really is getting into organizations and really helping them understand, number one, who they are as a leader, first and foremost, how do they serve, and then getting into how, you know, who do you have in your team? So as I say, you know, who's who in the zoo or in my metaphor in the flying bee of geese is like, who do you have in your flock? So, you know, how, you know, how we best serve them is really start to understand who are you, who do you have, where are you going, which is a huge, a huge piece. And then how do we align your team in order to actually get them in everybody, not only in the same direction, but going into what, again, as I say about their golden pond. So it's really getting into a deep understanding of who who you have and what do you have in them do? Because as you said, that disengagement is becoming a really big issue and it's in a steep decline. So, you know, serving those people that way is to really you know, get to really a deep understanding and it performs. So I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into what you just said about the low engagement aspect. We have low engagement. We're hearing quiet quitting, quiet firing. What do you think is going on in the workplace today? Well, I mean, I think with the whole hybrid piece that that, that really shook things up uh, quite a bit. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm finding and something that I've been really working on a lot about lately, you know, just recently is that, you know, in our generation, and I don't want to age ourselves, but here, but, you know, there was a time that was, you know, just do your job. You're getting a paycheck, do your job, do the work. And that's what mattered. That's what was important. And now what I'm finding in talking to organizations is that people want to be cared for. They want to belong. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And they want to have a purpose. It's no longer about the job anymore. I mean, that's part of it. But they want to be able to be that they, they want to have a feeling that I'm actually part of something bigger. And I think that's what really matters. And, and I think that's why this whole disengagement piece is really happening, because I don't think, you know, I'm speculating here, but a lot of organizations know exactly, they know what they do, but I don't sometimes know where they're going or even better, why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Or somewhere along the way, they've lost that. And I think to that point, when I worked in economic development, I would go out to all these businesses, which... You know, the businesses were there, but when you walked in, you you sensed that there was a lack of passion. And when you talk to business operators, a lot of times it's like, what's going on? Oh, well, you know, my business is like this and my people are like this. And and then when you asked, I asked one very powerful question, and that was, how did you get started in this business? And all of a sudden, their eyes would light up. They'd become more passionate. All of a sudden, they were more animated in how they talked about it. And it's like, where is that passion? So what do you think is happening, do you think, in the scope? I mean, obviously, we've had generational differences between, I remember reading the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People back in the 80s, when we were talking about, Mm -hmm. we're now in the knowledge age. We've gone from kind of the industrial age where we wanted hands, the knowledge age where we want the hands and the brain, and now we're more into the relational age where we want the hands, Mm -hmm. we want the brain, and we want what's in the heart as well. So what's shifted, do you think, now more than, I think, even before the pandemic? What do you think that big catalyst was? Oh, that is a great question. Boy, you're going to make me think on this one of what, you know, I guess what I'm seeing, and I don't know exactly why. I don't have the why, actually, in my head. But what I I see the shift, it is more about purpose. And, you know, I'm going to give you sort of two lines that I'd say, because it goes into culture, and maybe maybe bring this back around, was that, number one, you know, culture is best defined by the level of behavior that a leader is willing to tolerate. Mm. That's line number one. The second one is, as a leader, if you do not clearly define the culture of your organization, everyone else will make it up. And I think that that's the piece. I think it's it's a communication piece. We've gotten very fast-paced, very, we're trying to think really quickly. But I'm not sure if that message is actually being 
taken up through the organization. Again, I think you know people before had jobs and now they want purpose. And I don't know exactly where that turned, but I think that is the shift that I'm seeing occur in organizations. Yeah. One of the catalysts that I, I think I've noticed with a lot of people and businesses was the remote working. We went from work-life balance to work-life integration. And the minute that happened, leaders were now able to see kind of the people on their screen when they were remote as human beings with another life. They were able to see that Karen had a dog and that they have a five-year-old child who keeps running in and out and that she's a busy mom. And they were able to, all of a sudden, that awareness came kind of came to the forefront. But at the same token, when people are being pushed back now into the workplace, it's almost like leaders wanted to go back to the way it was, but the employees want what happened in COVID to stay. So I want to be seen as that human being. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I guess that's that whole purpose thing. And, and you know, just, you know, there's two, I have, I have two thoughts on this is that number one, that I guess the people want to be cared for. And, and I think the next wave, and in the, what I predict in the future, is that people want to belong to something from, you know, where we want to take care of them from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., right? We want to take care of our people while they're at work and while they're doing the job, whether they're at home or whether they're in the office. I think the next shift is we want to figure out how to take care of people from 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. And bring, you know, and be take care of the whole person. And that goes back to the whole person, which is they have a dog and they have their three-year-old and they have a five-year-old and they are soccer and there's this and there's that. And I really think from a leadership standpoint that through the whole COVID experience is that leaders really had a hard time being leaders because they all became counselors. Mm. And they just then they were reacting and responding. So that was really hard to, I think, for people to lead in that time because it was, everything was on the reactionary stage. We didn't know what was going to happen next. So and we're now we're trying to console and now we're trying to get back at it again. So it's kind of like, you know, when when you're when something gets stalled out, when you have momentum and it gets stalled, how much energy it takes to get that back going again. And I think that's kind of the phase that we're in. Of just we want to get back there. But it, there's there's only so much energy. It's. Interesting, as you were saying that, an image popped into my head of Wiley Coyote and the Sheepdog. Fred, do you remember when you know they, they'd be out in the field and the coyote's going to do the thing the coyotes do and the sheepdog's there to protect the sheep and then the whistle blows and they all go to the, they both go to the time clock and, you know, stamp out and you go, okay, Fred, see you tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of like that, right? It's like we have this one role from the 8.30 to 4.30. And then this other role from 4.30 mm-hmm. on that, you know, we might not be privy to understanding within the human the human dynamic of our team members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I really think that that is extremely important in this next, this next shift, this next generation. And whether, you know, some of us are a little bit more old school, but whether we like it or not, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I believe it will too. I think we've um, pulled back the sheet on this work-life balance into this work-life integration. And people are going to want work to be part of a whole, not to be a standalone kind of role definition. And it's like, okay, I'm putting this hat on now. Now I'm going to put on this hat. Right. I've spoken to a lot of business operators who really are in denial when we talk about employee engagement. They say, oh, no, I've heard the stat, but, oh, you know, all my people are super engaged. What what are some of the signs that leaders should be aware of that might point to the damage that low employee engagement is causing in their organization? What's the checklist? Boy, well, number one. Oh, uh, by the way, money. I only ask small uh, <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you keep them very simple. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, number one is money. But I really think, and, and I'll say this, when you have that employee, you know, gauge back to the gauge back to your high performers, gauge back to your champions, the people that are really involved and engaged in your business. And when you talk to them and, and integrate with them and you and you interact with them, you will see that that spark, that glimmer, that's you know, that that energy that that you either are gonna feel or hear. And I still think it's palpable. And so those, when you look at those people and say, okay, you know, what are they doing and in order to do what they're doing? And I believe that they're, there's a proper alignment in their role. There's a proper alignment in their belief. There's a proper line in purpose. And so those are the things you want to try to measure back in. Now, the, now on the flip side of that is, are they, are they showing up for work? You know, are they complaining? And I will say that complaining is not a strategy. What else are they looking for? And if they're complaining about work-life balance, if they're complaining about how much money I'm getting paid, if they're complaining about the things that at the end of the day, you know, they matter to a point, but they really don't matter, is I think those are the things you got to start being wary of in the checklist of start looking. And do you see that, that spark in their eye? Do you see them smile and engage and show up happy? And do you actually feel the energy in the room when they're in there? And which way does it take you? Does it, you know, does it swing to the way of a bit of an energy vampire? And you know who they are. Don't kid yourself. You know who they are, right? Or does it swing the other way when you're actually, when when you're around them, you actually feel that they're uplifted. And, you know, one of the things I will say, Mark, you know, when I work with organizations and I, I have a, I won't give away the secret sauce, but there's a, um, a little game that I play with them, which because learning should always be fun. But what I do is I, I set these, I have these people do some things, but I have them in, I have them in line with who they are, how they problem solve, because we're measuring it. We know instinctively how they problem solve. So what I do is I set them up for success and I get them to do some tasks, right? And you watch it and anybody else in the room, you can feel the energy. It's fun. It's exciting. We're setting them up for success, right? And this is, this is great. Everybody's having a great time. We're, we're in the party. And then what I do is because they did such a great job and we give them a big round of applause, we pat in the back, right? And then we incentivize them with six more weeks of vacation and double their salary, right? And then we give them a promotion because they did such a great job. And then what we do then is I flip their roles on them of what they need to do. And I'm really simplifying this down, but this is really fascinating. When I flip their roles upside down, they're new into their new job descriptions. And I, what I'm doing is I'm actually setting them up for failure because, again, I know how they problem solve. And you, and it was, it's really amazing. It's a four-minute exercise, but it's the four longest minutes of their life. And, in, and some will, people will actually quit before they start. On average, it's about two minutes and 30 seconds. One of them will bail out. And by four minutes, they can't wait for it to be over. But when you feel the energy in the room, when we do it one way, and you feel the energy in the room the other way, I said, no, no it's, it is absolutely palpable. And I say, so we had them do the exact same, we had them do the same task, same job, right? But they got a new, you know, but, but the task itself was the same. How we made them do was, was different. That was the key. So I said, if you're in your in the cubicle, if you're in the boardroom, if you're in the around the water cooler, I don't care where it is. Pay attention to that energy around you, and you will know what's going on around you. Pay attention to that. Now, there's no words there, but the energy will speak a lot, and you can always feel it. And what I find really interesting is when I work with some operators, business operators, either in retail or hospitality. To your point, you can feel when people are walking on eggshells. You can feel when people have something mm-hmm. negative going on. And I think what a lot of leaders do is, I'm just so busy, I don't have time to address this, so I'm just going to leave it go and let it sort of self out. 
How is that as a strategy? <laughs> well, you know, here's the funny thing. And it, this is actually called the law of thirds. We'll talk about that for a second, because it, this, I think, is really interesting. And I talk about a lot with organizations. Is the law of thirds basically saying, if you look at the stats, even on disengagement, they'll say, you know, there's basically up to, you know, 35% of your people are disengaged. Now, remember, there's there's two kinds of disengagement. There's one is the the disengaged, which is, should I quit or should I stay? And then there's the actively disengaged, which is the quit stay. So they quit, they stayed. But the law of thirds states that basically you got a third of your people that are basically your complainers, they're, they're unhappy, they're disengaged. You have a third of your people in the middle, which are your, you know, yeah, I'm doing my job, this is okay, I get paid, I'm, you know, I'm showing up to work and life is good, I'm not in one side or the other, I'm sitting in the middle. And then a third of your people are your champions. And they love being there. They're always full of ideas. They're always full of energy. And they want to keep everything moving forward. So you love them. Now, Mark, and, and if you come back on, I'll, I'll ask you the question. Typically, as a, as a business leader, right, we've got our complainers, the people in the middle, and we've got our champions. Where do we spend our energy? Where do we spend our time? It's always on the bottom of the barrel. It's always problem solving, Absolutely. the bad performers, the misbehaviors, and so on. And we leave the top performers alone, wallowing in whatever they think they're doing right. <laughs> right. But here's the interesting thing. We spend all the time. So if we just win them over, if we could just get this, if we can only just, if we can only, and we spend all this energy. And what happens in that pattern is that when, so basically the people in the middle start to move over because they say, well, if that's how I get attention in this organization, I guess that's what I need to do too. And then the half of the top third go, well, if this is how this works around here, I guess I'll come over too as well. And the top, your top, top performers, that other half of that 33%, they leave because this is not for me and I, 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 can't, I can't put up with this. And this is the pattern. And then, we, and then we're in it and then we go, well, I don't know how we got here. So now if we actually flip the narrative and say, well, what are, our, what are our champions doing? What are they doing really well? What keeps them happy? What keeps them engaged? Let me get to know them and all the things about them. And then so we put all our attention there. Then the people in the middle, they come over and they say, well, I guess this is how I get attention. This is what needs to get done. Half of the bottom third then go, oh, well, if I'm going to you know, want to be part of this, I guess that's what I need to do too. Right, and then the bottom third on the other side, they self they self select out, which is even better. As that's a business, <laughs> they will automatically leave because they say, "Well, you know, I'm not getting attention." They'll come, then they'll complain their way out the door. Yes, but and right, and but I've seen this narrative happen. I was in, a, and I talk all across Canada with Tech Canada, and, and I, the same pattern is happening over and over and over again. I said we need to start. And from a cultural piece is who are top performers, who are champions. And I really think, and I would get your thoughts on this, Mark, is that because we pay attention to the bottom, the people that are top performers, we leave, we leave them alone, right? Well, they're, they're doing a great job already. Like, well, I don't need to do anything with them, right? But wait a second, aren't, isn't that where we should be spending our energy? You know, it's interesting that you say that because the other thing that happens when we're focusing on the bottom tier is that we then are businesses reactionary to that bottom tier. That's where we're starting to set policies that says thou shalt not whatever because we're trying to compensate for bad behavior, which in its spinoff will affect the people at the top end who are like, well, why am I being punished when I don't behave badly, but now it's affecting my work and what I'm doing as well. So we're kind of fanning those flames 
and making sure that it's going to be all-consuming at some point in the corporate culture. And I'll get into trouble for saying this, but this is where, you know, as a business leader, and then I, I, when I, <laughs> I asked about, say, if, if there was one part of your job, like CEOs especially, if there's one part of your job that you give away that would just magically disappear with a, with a magic wand, yeah. what would it be? The number one answer, HR, people. Wherever there's people, there's people problems. Yep. So now, the, but so what, they, what do they do then? Well, let's hire HR, which really didn't solve the problem. It just sort of just moves it over, right? And the, but, but now this is where I get into trouble. And in, a lot of times in HR, they take the human out of human resources. And they, then now it becomes masters of policies and procedures and rules and regulations if you don't follow them, right? And then the people at the top, yeah, goes back to your point and saying, yeah, well, why am I getting punished with all this? Well, because we're trying to control this bad behavior, which really isn't human resources. It's sort of inhuman resources. <laughs> I get in trouble for And it goes that. from, you know, I think Stephen Covey said it really great. He said, we manage things and we lead people. Right. And so when you go onto the, what you just talked about with human resources coming on board and the leaders becoming, now I want to manage people and I want to manage mm-hmm. their behavior. And, you know, I've always said from day one on this podcast, I love the phrase, what gets recognized and rewarded gets repeated. It is the best way to change behavior within an organization is you find, even with your bad performers, you find something that they're doing right, you recognize it, you reward it very specifically, and you just reinforce the good behavior. And all too often, I think the good behavior is what we're ignoring, and we are just working on that one squeaky wheel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, the, the squeaky wheel, as they say, gets the grease, right? Yeah. And that's typically what happens. You know, one of the things on that same note in, in, the, in the work that, that I do, again, since serving my clients and, and really, you know, I go I get into what's called the, the conative aspect of your mind. And that is actually a real word. Conative is a real <laughs> word. But, it is, but it's your instincts. And it is your, it's a part of your mind that doesn't change over time. So it's, it actually, this is your problem-solving strategy. And so when I'm going to come up with problem A, and I'm going, to come, I'm going to come at it my way subconsciously, it's a subconscious part of your mind, you may come at it, you know, your way, we're still trying to solve the same problem, but you're going to, but you see it through, you, through your lens. And then, you know, somebody else in your, one of your audience is going to say, well, I wouldn't, why would you do it that way? I'm going to do it this way, right? We're all, right? Your eyes and ears will only see and hear what your brain is looking for. We all see the same thing, but we're all trying to come at it different ways. But what really becomes interesting, and this talks about culture and going back to this, you know, this whole podcast, is that when we put somebody, just like I said, when I flip those people's roles in this little game that I play, right, what we actually realize at the end of it all, once we debrief it all and they can understand what's going on, right, if anybody's going to be blamed for the problem, it was me. I created the problem. I'm the one who put them there, right? I can I can point out and say, well, how come you didn't do your job, and how come this, and why are you, why are you so upset, and all these all the questions around it. But I'm the one who actually created it, and it does go back to the point of you know you don't know what you don't know, and so if I don't know what what makes that person tick, if I don't know what lights them up, if I don't know what's going to make them the best performer for the role that they're in then I just, well, you know, Jesus, just because they had previous experience doesn't make them good at it. Right. And so going back to the sole instinctive drive pieces, that's really, it's really important that we actually understand that this, you know, when I put this person in this role for what they do naturally, again, it goes back to what you said earlier, right? We can, we, can, we can hire their hands, we can train their heads, but until we have their hearts, we'll never have the whole person. We can train skill, 
we can try to we can have ice cream Sundays, we can have ice cream Fridays or whatever the case is. But but the thing is that that, that heart is actually when we're aligning that person with the role. And you know, one of the really prime examples is probably overused, but I'm gonna say it anyway is that we take our top, you know, you take your top salesperson, right? I mean, they're doing great. They're knocking out of the park. They're making money. They're, they're, they're having fun doing it. And then the promotion to sales manager. manager. Oh, why wouldn't we, right? And the, and the person's like, well, I got my title now. and This is great. And they get in the role. And, you know, and about six, six to eight months later, you realize that you promoted an ogre. And you cannot for the figure out why. And and I think another piece of this too is that what we don't understand in business is that when we give that promotion, we're actually rehiring. Yes. But we don't. I don't. We see it as a rehire. We see because they're already they're already hired. They're already working for us, but they don't see it as a rehire. And when we're rehiring again, now what are you asking them to do? Oh, whether they like it or not. And that becomes again that becomes a cultural piece. So when we put the person there and then they're not performing. And then we, you know, then we spend all our time again trying to get them to come around because they were so good before. What happened? Yes. Yeah. And we've seen this time and time again, right? And to your point, I think you make a really interesting differential there is when we do make that promotion, I think it's important that we turn around and say, you know, this is a new hire. What do we need to do to onboard them into this new position rather than saying, okay, Steve, you were great at sales. So now if we promote you as a sales manager, you can teach everybody how to be amazing like you, which just doesn't work. And it sets them up for failure. (laughs) And it sets them up, yeah. And then we can't figure out why. Yeah. And I really want to, you know, being this, I wanted to help be on this podcast and, and, you know, help you help your audience to, again, think differently, change perspective on things. Yeah. So I'll I'll just give you just an example. And let's just run with the sales example. Because sales is really, actually, it's kind of fascinating. But there is people out there instinctively, whether again subconsciously, who love sales. Now there's there's different aspects of sales, and I've seen this when helping organizations hiring, you know, getting helping them hire the right people for the right roles. So there's people that are driven by the sales, by the the. It's all about you know, eat what you kill. It's all about sign the deal. It's because it's it's a game. It's a crisis. It's chaos. It's fun. It's exciting. And because I get to, like, oh, I, I seal the deal. This is great. Then that for them is very, very exciting and fun because instinctively, it's a natural connection. It's an energetic connection. Now, there's a people at the other end of the spectrum who don't want to sell anything. Now, we, we have them in sales. They don't want to sell anything. And they're like, they sit back and they, you know, they, don't, they don't want to go out and do cold calls. They don't want to go out and drive. They don't want to do those things. Now, both are in sales roles. I don't want to just keep, I'm going to make this thinking differently. The people that are the real heavy sales go out, I, let's call them car sales people, just for fun. They love being on commission-based because everything is a challenge. Everything is strived to something new. Everything is what can I go and gain from this? And I want to, again, as I said, I want to eat what I kill. And the people at the other end of the spectrum who don't, they don't want to sell. And but they're great customer service people, but don't ever put them on a commission-based sales because what they're looking for is they're looking for stability. What's going to be the same? How can I be sure they're going to fight, fight, fight for stability and to to actually be in the known? Now those people never want to sell because the fact is they're not driven by sales, but they're driven more by 
let me, you know, let me give the, give the client or the customer more information and give them, let me follow through on this process and let's carry this through and have a conversation and all those things. And hopefully they will buy. Now, again, both are in sales, two totally different aspects of sales. But when you take the one person who's been, let's say, the inside salesperson and you want to promote them to the outside sales and you change their, their pay format, you change their the commission structure and you try to get them on sales calls, sales calls and they stop performing, right? They're the same person. We're still trying to do sales and they're checking out and they're starting to disengage. And most people, like, they, will, they can't figure out why. Well, it's because of this instinctive drive they have. They have experience. Experience isn't enough. I always tell people, organizations, is that you can take someone who's really smart, educated, lots of experience, ton of skill. Great, we've checked off all the boxes, and they seem to be outgoing, and our values match, and they have good beliefs, and they have a nice person, they have a good personality, and we get along. This is oh my god, I found the perfect hire. Don't only hire smart, nice people. It is not enough. Right. You have to know, not guess. You have to know what instinctively drives them because you're actually, believe it or not, you're talking to their subconscious mind, not their conscious mind. And when you, when you start to align that, and it goes back to my metaphor of, you know, it's geese flying in the V formation. Geese fly 71% more efficiently in the V formation than they do than flying alone. And because everyone leads off, everyone feeds off the one, you know, the one in front of it, the lead goose never stays the lead goose. So that means that in nature, pay attention to nature, it'll teach you a lot about business. Nature doesn't do, nature, nature, sorry, nature doesn't try, nature just does. Yeah. But that lead goose is always changing out, right? Which means that everyone in your organization now becomes a leader. Because when I'm gonna drive outside sales, oh, there's my lead goose. When I'm gonna drive inside sales, there's my lead goose. When I'm gonna create a, a structure and a plan and a system, I have a lead goose for that. When I want to have somebody to find an alternative, see around corners and see patterns really quick, I now have a different goose. But once again, once you know that and you're rotating them out, there's your effectiveness. And everyone plays a role and no, and it's, it's, always, it's always moving. And the one last thing I want to say about this, Mark, is that when geese fly in the V formation, and I think this is really important, is that they can all see where they're going. Every geese can, it's not blind faith. You don't you ever see them fly in a straight line. They're always flying because everyone can see. So until that leader right, clearly defines, and, and north is not enough, right? It's like, uh, Mark, here's, here's a compass, don't get lost, <laughs> right? If you don't know how to use a compass, what good is it going to do you? So north is not enough. We're, yes, we're going north and we're going to here and we're going, right? And then clearly define where we're going and then that's where everyone starts to actually fly together. And I think that's really key. You've talked about so many different aspects of this idea of zone of genius. And so I'd like to kind of dig deeper a little bit on getting people and being able to pinpoint where people's zone of genius might be. And we'll get to that right after this. When the spotlight shines on your business, are customers applauding or yawning? In other words, how is your business performing? Make your business a star with a new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater by Mark Hain. Mark uses his business and acting experience to help you see your business like a live show so you can create a performance your customers will never forget. Buy Lights, Camera, Action today at your favorite online retailer or directly at markhain.com. I am speaking with sought-after speaker and purveyor of the pond, Warren Barry. Warren, I have to ask you, why purveyor of the pond? (laughs) 
Well, you see, my, my whole metaphor that I work with is that it's the flying V. So it's, it's all about ducks and it's all about geese and it's all about nature. And again, watching nature, nature doesn't try, nature just does. So the purveyor of the pond is we're all, we're all in the same pond. We're all in this together. And so therefore, you know, I become the purveyor of the pond and, and, and hopefully the lead goose that I can actually help organizations fly. And once they figure out where their golden pond is, I get to go off and find another pond. Lovely. Another pond. Gotcha. And so it's not about holding holding into the same pond. It's about how do we oh. evolve it, right? Now, you talked about this cognitive aspect of the mind, and there's a, a phrase called cognitive stress. This was a new phrase. I actually had to look it up because my spell check, when I wrote down cognitive, it said it changed it to cognitive. And so yes. can we just, with probably a little bit more clarity, I guess, is what is cognitive aspect of the mind or cognitive stress? And how does it drive our decision-making? Ah, fantastic question, Mark. Beautiful. So every person has three parts of their mind, every single human. Okay. And so we have now, again, go to, let's go to the spell check. This happened to me just the other day. It's actually pretty funny. We're going to spell check it to cognitive. So Microsoft, listen to this podcast. So we have three parts of the mind, and the cognitive is your skills, your experience, your knowledge, your IQ, your education. These are the things, this is the thinking part of your mind. So these are the things you learn over time. So if you think about education, well, education from kindergarten to grade 12 or after, I keep learning new things. But that piece of your mind is always changing. It's always developing, or if it's not, there's a bigger problem. But the cognitive is, is where we, where, is, is our thinking piece. The affective part of our mind is the feeling side of us. And so that is, it's, again, it's, it's your emotions, your values, your beliefs, your personality lives there, your motivation. And those piece, that piece of your mind is always changing. Again, so when we look at things like, um, as an example, for an, on a, an assessment, it's a business podcast. So we have, you know, DISC and Predictive Index and Myers-Briggs and Strengths Finders, all those ones that are out there are all measuring the affect. It's how do you feel about things and whether you like them or prefer them. That piece of your mind is always changing because it depends on our external environment, right? How we, we want to react. So again, when I always say about don't hire only smart, nice people, because the smart is they got all this experience. The, the nice is they're outgoing and, and our, we, our values align, whatever the case may be. The conative is now, that is our doing. So this is how we take action. And this, so this is, your, this, is, this is your drive, your mental energy, your instincts, your talent. This is your problem-solving strategy. This is how you do. So when we think about this, try to break this down and make this understand. So if let's say we have your zone of genius, it sort of falls into this because that's more affect, it's what you like. And so that becomes, that becomes potential energy. It's this is where I want something to occur or I'm moving towards this. I, I sure like this. I, I, I want to have a new car, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is, but that's our, that's our potential energy. And as soon as we say yes to that, are the conative aspect of your mind, again, this, this piece doesn't change, this drives your behavior, is now, and it's subconscious. There's no words to it. There's no words in your subconscious mind. And what happens, that starts, that starts your problem-solving strategy. So you're going to approach it. Like for myself, I'm very like, hey, I got an idea. Hey, why don't we try this? Hey, everything for me is about experimenting and jumping in. And all the bean counter financial people, I drive insane because they say, well, well, where's the report? Where's the data? What's the history? What's the evidence? What have we done before? And I'm like, what? Yeah, but, but why? Why would we look in the past? We're going to look in the future. 
And they'd be, yeah, but if you can't, how you can't, if you don't know the past, how are you going to know the future? How are you going to base the future? Well, we'll worry about that later. Let's go. Right. And that's, so again, you've got two people trying to get to the same place, two completely different ways. And again, this is how it's going to drive their behavior. And as soon as you say yes, as soon as you say yes, you're going to keep on moving forward. You've got free will. Then the cognitive comes into mind. And that's where we evaluate. So this is like, do I have, what experience do I have? What knowledge do I have? What budget do I have? It's the analysis. So it's affective, cognitive, cognitive, and this the citizens and citizens cycles every day as you're problem solving. And again, the cognitive piece is really fascinating to understand and get also the other people like, or people on the podcast to listen to is that it's mental, it's battery packs of mental energy. So we all came with rechargeable batteries. But when they're when you're doing something, and I'll give you just this really quick example, because this will lead into the cognitive stress piece, is one of the things we measure is called fact finders, how we gather and share information. So I have a little bitty tune fact finder. I don't have much battery power there. And it has nothing to do with intelligence. But if I'm having to read a document or I'm having to get specifics or details on something, I, I just have this very little bit of time and, my, and I'll do it for so long and my brain goes, Ur! and it just stops. It doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. It means that I've ran out of battery pack. So I have to wind sprint my way through it. So it's, it's burn off energy, then recharge it, burn off energy, recharge it, burn off energy. That's my way of doing it. Now, growing up, I used to think I was stupid because the fact is like, I couldn't read for very long and I have to read these long things. I'd be like, I just, I don't get it. In school, show your work made no sense to me. That was just, it's so illogical in my brain. So, right, again, so using myself as an example of that, but yeah, there's other people, right, who would, you know, just love to dive into the details and love to get the specifics and love to research and love to get all the data and I, I could really care less. So, not that I don't care. That's, that's the wrong way to put it. I do care is how I'm going to go about getting it. I don't need a lot of information to start where other people need a lot. So I, I take procrastination and really turn it on its head. So the, the cognitive stress piece, right, which is I started actually, believe it or not, I started doing research. I call it case studies because it makes me feel better. But it was, I was looking at, uh, at patients being in, in medicine for 30 years. and I, I dealt with what's called the fossil system of the human body. And it's the connective tissue system. So if anybody's ever heard of myofascial release. And what I discovered was there was people that were getting these really kind of weird symptoms, such as fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, myofascial pain syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, migraine headaches, the real messy things that people we really don't understand. And I started looking at and asking deeper questions and started figuring out about their work and what they were having to do. Now, again, it wasn't about their experience. It wasn't about their tenure. It's what we having them do. And what I found was that who they were instinctively, what role they were in, what they had to do on a daily basis could not be sustained over time. So my theory is, and it's sort of shown it, is that people will either make a conscious choice and they will leave the organization or they'll disengage or they'll do whatever they have to do because they're going to mentally, cognitively make a decision and say, I can't make this work. Or they will get sick and their body will take them out. One way or the other, you're going to, you can't sustain it over time. The energy cannot be sustained over time. And so I look at this energy, and we've seen it on brain mapping and, and on the MRIs, when people are in cognitive stress, when I'm, up, I'm up against myself. I mean, I did a keynote not too long ago. My first line of my keynote was, get a good government job, she said. And that was my opening line because my mother telling me to get a good government job, and it was the worst three and a half years of my life. And I've never been so sick. And I never had so much back pain. I never had so much bronchitis as that period of time that I was there. I couldn't be myself. And I could tell you all sorts of stories. But it was my aha that I was like, that actually happened to me. I was trying so hard. And, I, and I, I, could I do the work? Yes. 
but I couldn't sustain it over time. Mm. And that was the cone of stress. And I started to see in, in patients, I started to see the patterns. And, you know, one of them was a doctor and, you know, she'd really care about her patients. But, you know, so to make a long story short, she went from being a GP, which is actually a lot of repetition, not a lot of creativity. How many runny noses do you see in a day, right? To eventually, and, and had fibromyalgia, and eventually got into doing hair transplants huh. and, was, and was happy as a clam. Because then she could, she you know, there was not, there was no repetition. She could be creative. She could create a work of art, and that was, but that's who she is. Now you think, well, as a physician, you think, but all this time and you've spent, and all the money you've spent on being a physician. I mean, why would you change? I mean, right? It was pulling her out. It was trying to get her out of there. It was trying to protect her. But we saw it as a disease. It really wasn't a disease. It was a protective mechanism. Gotcha. And once we started to move that over, then everything changed. It's interesting because you're talking about, so this has become what you've been describing is more of a self-reflective exercise. Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit, and we don't have a lot of time left, but I'd like to talk a little bit about how leaders can spot this in others. And really, because to our point, we're calling it zone of genius, but now Mm -hmm. you've kind of broken it out to these three different aspects. How do leaders pinpoint where their employees are within the realm of cognitive stress and their cognitive frame of mind. Well, there's there's two ways to do it. Number one, you can measure it. So there is a tool out there that, and it's one that I use called Colby. So K O L B E. So that's mm-hmm. one way you can actually again. Do you want? I always tell people, do you want to guess or do you want to know? So one way is to actually measure it. Otherwise, you actually have to like talk to the individual, ask them what they're doing, right? And then and here's a, an interesting thing: is that if people say want or like, it's the affective part of your mind. That's the languaging they'll use. If someone says need, need is instinct. So it's like, I need more information. If you start listening to that, that if you start to understand this and you start listening to their dialogue, you will start picking it out. And if they're starting to disengage and they're starting to pull away or stuff's going to the side of their desk that they're not doing, have the conversation and find out why. And it's not, again, it's not about whether they like it or not. It's what do they need in order to be successful. And, you know, and the leader themselves. Right. I mean, the CEO, like, we have we have this idea. We got to be everything to everybody all the time. Try to be the lead goose over over the entire trip. Let me know how that works for you. Yeah. And that's where burnout happens. Right. When you're the lead that's goose. The time. I'm loving this. Warren, for everything that we've been talking about today, are there any cautionaries as people start to uncover this? I mean, first of all, is there any resources out there that people can get more information about cognitive stress and cognitive frames of mind, as well as what are some of the cautionaries we should be aware of when we're trying to instigate maybe this new awareness? Well, there's one, I mean, you know, there's, there's two places you go. I mean, if you want to go to my website, which is www.instinctivesolutions.ca, you can see my case study that's actually on there. So you can actually read up my case study. And I also wrote an ebook also on what we call transition is where people are in transition. I wrote it through COVID because I was seeing these people being pushed and pulled. So there's that resource there. And there's Colby, so Colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com. Colby dot com has a lot of information on the cognitive aspect of the mind. Otherwise, go looking. It is going to be tough to find just like you did too. So, but those are two great resources uh, to look. And then, and then Kathy Colby, I think it's got a few books as well. So that's two great resources and look at that. That's a great place to go. And, you know, again, on the, um, so your question was about the, not the dangers, what? The cautionaries of, of being able to uncover this and trying to implement some sort of awareness around this. 
Well, I think one of the cautionary things is is to find. Sometimes you might find out. <laughs> careful what you careful what you find, because and I see this happen quite a bit where we have people in the wrong roles, and I've seen it over and over again where they've tried. And we've met. We what we do is we measure who they are, and we also measure what their self expectation of their role is. We also measure what the the leader's expectation of the role is. So we can measure these things. But what I found was. There's some people that were, they were trying so hard to try to conform. And once we opened up Pandora's box, then it was, you know, number one, the floodgates came down. But, but what we found out, we actually had them in the wrong role. And so that, that gets cautionary because the fact is we discovered they're in the wrong role. So if they're a really good human being and we really like them, we want to take care of them, we have to find another role for them in the organization. And if you're a really small business, you may not have. And maybe, you know, and at that point, I always say there's nothing wrong to be a great company to be from. Yes. Help them find something else that actually aligns with who they are in another organization and lead, and lead them that way. And that's A-OK too. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Warren, do you have any last thoughts about what we've been talking about today? I just think that, you know, I always, you know, for business leaders, I think this is one, number one, I think this is really important that people just don't understand this part of the mind. They don't, they, 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 they think it's a personality problem and it's, a lot of times it's not, and it's not personal. It's not personal. It is just people are coming at it their own way. And I think it is really important to really discover who do you have, you know, and I always say, who is the who to your what, right? Who is the person who does it better than you can for what needs to get done and then get out of the way? And let them be their let them be their best self, and they'll let you be your best self. And I think that you know when you can start doing that, that's from the business that I was. I call it the it's the it's the Rolex watch, or it's the it's the flywheel effect, right? You start to gain perpetual motion because it just starts to feed upon itself. And there is your culture. There is the culture. And you mentioned at the very beginning of the show the definition of culture. Could you just repeat it one more time? So that's the level of behavior that a leader is willing to tolerate. Level is number one behavior that a leader is willing to tolerate. And the second one is if you don't clearly define the culture of your organization, everyone else will make it up. I love it. Could you remind everybody one more time how they can get a hold of you? Yeah, so the, my website is www.instinctive, just like it sounds, instinctivesolutions.ca. My email is warren at instinctivesolutions.ca. And you can find me, Warren Berry, um, on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. It's probably my primary way because I think, you know, if we're getting hold of me because, I mean, it's, 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 it's business. So that's probably the best way. Love it. Warren, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your passion, your expertise. This has been the quickest 51 minutes I think I've had on this show. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate this, Mark, and I love everything that you're doing. And um, you know, we're definitely going to promote your show because I think you're doing a great thing for business leaders. Well done, my friend. Thank you very much. And I will put it out there that you know, Warren and I are passionate about the topic that we talked about today. If you're going to be setting yourself up to do a leadership retreat or any kind of convention, conference center, and you think you need a keynote speaker or breakout speaker that could really enhance your attendees' experience within your conference, then please. Check us out. Have a conversation with us. Let's see if we can uncover how we can serve you and your attendees. Likewise, if you have any questions about today's episode or you would like a complimentary 30-minute brainstorming session with me, and I'm sure Warren is going to be more than willing to do the same thing, feel free to book yourself on my online calendar. The link is down below. And if you want to get hold of Warren, check out his website, connect with him on LinkedIn. 
As always, I am at your service. And if you haven't done so yet, why don't you subscribe to this feed and follow me on social media? You'll get the first posts. You'll get first notifications when I bring you fresh new content each and every week with new experts, new topics that are relevant to you. My name is Mark Hain. I hope that you stay safe. I hope you stay healthy. And I dare you, dare you to be the exception. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhain.com for a full directory of available episodes. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please share it and tell your friends about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception.